GM and welcome to episode 2 of Probably Nothing. Justin's journey into Web3 is one that everyone needs to hear. He is changing the narrative around the meme of the starving artist with the success of his NFT art. Justin has many successful projects and we dove into one of his most prominent projects, Twin Flames. Twin Flames minted at 0.55 ETH and as of recording, the floor price for Twin Flame is 200 ETH. Within a few years, Justin has gone from having a couple hundred dollars in his bank account and learning about Web3 through his friend's journey on the Silk Road to becoming one of the most successful artists. In this episode, we learn more about the inspiration behind Twin Flames, what Justin did to build community around his projects, and why giving back is one of the most important things for him. As always, don't forget to give us a 5-star rating on Apple or Spotify, subscribe, and share this on social media to help others learn more about Web3. Feel free to tag me at Tzong and at Alexis Ohanian. Three, two, one. Awesome. Welcome to Probably Nothing. I'm TZ, founder and CEO of Islands, a new social NFT community platform. I'm Alexis Ohanian, co-founder of Reddit, former executive chairman, and now founder of 776. It's a venture capital firm. We'll get better at this. <laughs> <laughs> and we've got Justin. I'm Justin. I'm an artist, I'm a founder of Save Art Space and a CEO of Quantum Art. Could you share a quick summary about yourself and Twin Flames, Save Art Space, Quantum Art? You got a lot of projects going on for those who don't know you and your story. <laughs> My name is Justin. I'm a photographer mostly and I do paintings and video and sculpture. I do a lot of mixed media art, photography based mostly. I do a lot of public art with my nonprofit, Save Art Space, and we transform billboards in the public space into art spaces, getting rid of ads and putting up art and getting the message out there to support the people and artists who live in the communities that these billboards take over. Quantum Art is our new NFT photo platform that we're launching November 2nd, which may or may not be out by the time this podcast goes live. There's a lot to talk about, depending on what kind of questions you guys have, but mostly I'm here as an artist and, you know, entrepreneur, thanks to the NFT space. And because of the NFT space, if that's what we're talking about in this podcast, I've had a lot of success just this year alone from like the 15 years I've been an artist professionally. And I'm only 29 wow, years what? old. 29? <laughs> yeah. That's great. Man, all right, so you've clearly been doing art for a very long time, <laughs> since you were a kid. Um, what what kind of stuff were you doing before NFTs? You talked about some of the different media you used. I mean, how did you go from that to first learning about NFTs? Man, I've been an artist practically my whole life, skateboarder also. So art and skateboarding went hand in hand for me when I started growing up, mostly photography, being interested in people, and animals and plants, and then going to art school at SVA in 2010 to 2014, I really focused in more on people and portraits. And you could see when I started at school, I was like a street photographer and I would shoot from like this far away. But as I get closer to by the time I graduated, I'd be like this close. And I mm -hmm. think, and I could quote a really good photographer that says, the closer you are, the better the photo. So for me, I like shooting people. I like connecting with people. And through photography, it's kind of the way I, I do connect with people through, through the art I make. And so I mostly started with photography. You know, when I'm tired of shooting photos, I paint, I collage. I do a lot of silk screening. I'm very inspired by silk screening and, and the amount of work that can be processed in such a short amount of time even though the process takes a lot of time when you're making the screens and getting everything formatted. So there's a lot of play involved when it's not photography, but it's very serious and playful in when I'm creating in photo. But the projects are very serious and are very thought out. And I only do like one major project at a time. And that's why I have four major projects out in, in my oeuvre right now and, and, and more to come. And then how did you first learn about NFTs? So, you know, I've been into crypto since 2012. My roommate was on Silk Road and I was watching and observing. <laughs> and at that time I was shooting a lot. So I didn't have time to spend 
time on the internet, but I was just learning through him of what, when he was buying acid and shrooms and stuff from Germany. <laughs> so, you know, I was learning about Bitcoin then and, you know, I wasn't buying it. I was just watching and, and learning, observing. And then in 2017, I really got into Bitcoin as everyone else did before the crash. And then I learned my first lesson in getting wrecked. And then, you know, when the pandemic started in 2020, I went back into Bitcoin again and was like, I'm going to invest, you know, like what better time to invest in myself and as an artist than putting money aside in something that can potentially grow. And then, you know, I, I got early in March 2020 and then I didn't really understand Ethereum and I was kind of like, what is this crap? I don't understand it because it didn't have utility to me. Like Bitcoin, you know, has the store of value explanation. But when I learned store of value, right? that's, that's what yeah. people say. That's And that's what now institutions are buying it. Then that means it's valuable because money is involved, right? A lot of money. So I actually, my mind changed instantly when NFTs happened with Ethereum. And then I was like, I had my aha moment of like, okay, I understand Ethereum now where before I didn't. And now I do because it's the smart contracts that make it very, you know, liquid and valuable and also programmable, which is what we're seeing now and today with smart art and smart contracts and, and what people are developing through NFTs. So I got in around February of 2021. There was a lot of clubhouse talk in January and that's all that there was. And, right. and so... And so if you were on Clubhouse, you were talking NFTs with everybody. And that this is pretty much the place where art met tech, where before that was like, where do I meet tech people? And I'm sure the tech people are like, where do I meet artists? And like huh. Clubhouse was where the conversations <laughs> were had. Everyone was trying to learn about NFTs. Everyone was educating people about NFTs. And I've said this on other podcasts. Like I tried using Rarables for my first mint and I was completely like pushed away because it was just... I felt like I got robbed and I lost like 120 bucks. And at that time, I only had like $250 in my bank account. Wow. So I was like, shit, like half my money is gone from this crap. Like what the f And then nothing got minted. So I was like, I fucking lost money. And then I was lucky enough to be friends with people like G Money and people like Alex Mesmesh. And I, and I say this in other podcasts too, but they really taught me – tech wise and strategy wise how to enter the space you know i was taught by alex how to get a metamask and mint on OpenSea, and i was taught by g money on actually what to mint and how to mint so it was like because of those two people i was very educated and brought into the space with pretty much the, the top people in the space collector and tech wise what were the insights about how to mint and what to mint yep um well I was already working on Twin Flames since 2017 and 2018. I finished it. So it was a year that took me to shoot. And then by that time, I was like programmed to like, okay, this is the project that I'm focusing on. And I only focus on major projects at once. And if you look at my website, you'll see my four major projects. So I'm very focused when I'm shooting, when I'm creating. From 2017 to 2018, I, I shot the project. 2019, I made a book and I had an exhibition. And by 2021, I was still promoting it. My goal was to get it in museums because I see myself as an artist. And, you know, some people go to art school to be a Gucci photographer. Myself, I went to make a name for myself in the art world. And that's how I went to school thinking of who I'd be in the world of being an artist and being exhibited all around the world. And that's what I wanted to create a project to do that. So Twin Flames came from a really deep place in my heart to honor my twin sister. I do other projects to honor family members or people who've passed away and really utilize art as a totem of memorial and respect and honor. And I'm always going to be that way when I create stuff. So by the time we were talking NFTs, for me, it was like second nature to put Twin Flames up because it's been something I was working on for four years. And I already knew you know, how to list it because it's just binary in the sense that it was chronological and how I shot it and it was chronological how, how I minted it and posted it on Instagram and my website. So I just used that format and minted it because I've been working with it for so long. It wasn't something new. It was just a new place for the work to live. And ironically, like it was the best place the work can live because people who weren't in my audience from the art world were seeing it in the crypto space 
and, and Twitter and, and everyone in the tech world really responded to it and received it in a different way than the art world did, which really like changed my life because I was, I was bringing people into the art world from the tech space and, Mm -hmm. and it was different. It was a different reception from what I've known. And I'm really grateful that I'm here now because of that. I mean, you're being very modest about it. It's quite an understatement. I mean, the reception was tremendous. Like the floor, what's the floor price right now? The, the floor is like 200 ETH. Justin was telling me to get in at 40 or so. Dude. Dude. I remember him messaging me. Man. But what was the strategy around having 100 items? So Twin Flames is a collection of 100 twin portraits, 100 items. And how did you think about the rollout as well? Whether it was auctioning each one at a time dropping all of them at the same time, dropping them in batches. Uh, what was your thinking around that? Because you're very early, you're like the first NFT photographer in the space who's have really made a name for yourself and you're in two auction houses and a lot more, right? So I know you kind of pioneered this whole space from that collection. I would say it's nothing different than what I was already doing and, and thinking and more so like, what I was originally thinking when I had the physical one of ones, because everything I do is pretty much a one of one if it's like the actual art object, but if it's an addition, it's like a one of three or one of five. So with Twin Flames, it was a one of one darkroom seat print. So I shoot with film and everything is analog. And for my work to be on the blockchain is pretty much opposite of what photography was like analog, printing in the darkroom, scanning film, like. But to live on the blockchain is so beautiful and like it really connects these two worlds of, of past and future. When I listed them, I was thinking like this and, and G-Money really helped me a lot. So when I first approached G-Money, he knew that I was trying to sell the project physical form before NFTs, pre-NFTs, one of one darkroom C print 16 by 20 and I would only sell it as a set of 100. So that equals $100,000 because my fair market price at that time in galleries were $1,000 a print for one of one. And I did not want to sell the project piece by piece. This thing needs to be together. It's a community. It's a family. It's a unit. I look at this whole project as a whole. When you see it in the physical form, like if you saw the Christie's photos, you see the magnitude of the work when it's installed. Like, yes, one picture is something, but when you have 100 pictures together – they respond to one another. It creates this sensational, sublime feeling of just like you could see the whole year in one instant. And I like to create a lot of projects like that. And if you look at my website, you'll see like every project I do is either a 365 project or a project with a serious theme that creates a volume to have an impression by. And like I don't make one-on-ones. I really work in like big projects when I do series. So by the time I minted it, I was being honest to my price and at the time 0.55 ETH was the listing price and I listed them all 100 just to have them up and you know they were all up for sale and G Money was really the person who was like don't sell me the physical thing save that for the museum the institution the centralized art world and then sell me the NFTs the decentralized for the collector, so in a way, when you think of Twin Flames, there's a duality. There's the physical and there's the digital. There's the 100 physicals that are together for the institution, and then there's the 100 decentralized digital NFTs for the collectors. So it's like the people could have it and the powers that be could have it, and like that's the duality. And it could only work with Twin Flames. Like I couldn't do that with another project because of the concept. So I listed everything at 1000 bucks. And then I sold out in three days thanks to, you know, crypto Twitter and Discord and, and everyone who was there supporting me from the jump. Wow. Yeah. And now you have 83 unique owners, which is incredible considering the price of a Twin Flames these days. I mean, the, the whole strategy for me was because when I sold them all, there was 50 or like 45 owners. And for me, in my mind, this was my thought process, like, I'm only focusing this whole year on Twin Flames. Like I'm not going to mint a whole new project because I want to upkeep and take care of my secondary market. I want to utilize this royalties tool that NFTs have given artists and put that to the test. 
and also create a, a large distribution of my work to many collectors instead of just one person having 15 or another having six. Like I really worked with my collectors and got one guy down from 15 to three because he believes in me. He believes in the project and he understood the value and importance of getting it into other people's hands. Mm. So, so that was my whole marketing strategy of keeping up the secondary to get it to the point where it's 200 ETH. Like I had to broker a lot of deals and meet a lot of people and get a lot of people interested and do a lot of work. Like it wasn't just happening by itself. I was like TZ said, I was working, I was connecting with people and gauging interest in my work, just like a normal artist would do in the regular art world at gallery shows. It's nothing different. So you, you probably personally know all of these owners, right? Like all of your collectors, owners, people in your community, in your discord. A hundred percent. Like that's the owners. most important. That's the most important part to me is like, who are these people spending $700,000 on me? Like I want to hang out with them. I want to take them to dinner. I want to get to know them. I want to tell them the story. Like I don't want to treat this like it's transactional. I want to treat this like you have a friend forever. And not only that, I'm going to reward you with like more upcoming art stuff and access. So it's like for me, it's the relationship. Like money is just a bonus. But for me, it's like I get to meet people who not only invest in me, but my businesses that I'm creating out of this and, you know, building a community around pushing the space forward and pushing the culture forward. I want to dig in on that with the community building front, because I think right now, a lot of folks directly connect success to signs of community and and really choose breadth or at least aspire to breadth instead of depth and you've clearly gone with the latter and it's clearly working out really well like how are you approaching it like practically speaking right you just live in the discord like can you talk specifically like how many hours do you spend engaging with members of your community where where are lessons you've learned over these months of doing it where you're like okay i'm much smarter about this now you know early on i was really i'm still learning about the dms I'm still learning. Okay, but what if what if what have you learned already? Because what you've already accomplished is something that I think a lot of people listening want to they want to learn from and improve. I will say this. It's not only my art, it's also what I've contributed to the space at large through Save Art Space beyond myself. And I think to be successful in the space, whatever that means, is you gotta go beyond what you create and create more for others. But for me, it was easy because I had Save Art Space and I was working with the CryptoPunks. And for me to get my name out there more and build trust in the community with the CryptoPunk community, who are people who spend minimum 100 ETH on an NFT. So it was like built in that I was talking to the right people. And not only that, I was pushing their culture forward with putting CryptoPunks on billboards with G Money around the world. So it's like doing that work accelerated my personal work because it's both me as the artist and my art too that reflects who I am and the value I put out in the space. And I think everyone needs to think about that. It's not just this beautiful picture I took. It's who you are and what you contribute. I think ultimately, just like any artist in the real art world, look at Cause, look at Warhol, look at Keith Haring. They always did stuff for the community or something larger than themselves. So you got you to think like that. Yeah. Okay. That's smart. And so yeah, back to your point around royalties and how you're thinking about that. What are the royalties you're taking on Twin Flames? And how are you thinking about reinvesting from your royalties back into the community? Oh, 100%. So, you know, I get 10% of every sale. Every 1% of my 10% goes to the Twins collectively. So I just paid out all the Twins after this Christie's auction around $200,000, which was 10% of everything I've made. And for me, it's like, I want to keep paying it forward, not only to the subjects in the works and create a standard around photography to keep giving royalties to everyone involved. And I think that's the future of self-sustainability. That's the future of universal basic income through art. I also invest a lot in other photographers. If you look at my twin flames vault, I have tons and tons of photography I buy. And I think through Quantum, we'll be giving a lot of other new photographers a place to mint their work and a lot of collectors 
who have eyes on what I'm doing on them. So it's like, for me, it's like I want to uplift as many people as possible and create a beautiful future for photographers that never existed because Instagram and social media kind of took that away from us with the disposability of scrolling and not valuing photography. And we look mm-hmm. at photography <laughs> with a visual language and that's something we understand. So it's just like how do we bring value back to something and through for me it's like the work I'm doing and education I think too. How do you think people will be displaying photos in the coming coming years? If it's not Instagram obviously, that's not going to be the place where talented photographers are showing off their work. What do you think that experience is going to be like for collectors and creators? Is it physical kind of one-on-ones behind you, things like that, but also online, obviously, online galleries like cyber, etc. I think all of the above. I think people love prints. I love prints. Everybody I purchase on the NFT space, I ask to send me a print because I understand the value of physical things. And I like to collect art. Um, I think the metaverse is obviously one. You know, infinite objects and that type of digital displays is another. It depends on your taste. You know, traditional art world people, if they get into NFTs sooner than later, they'll want the physical. If you're a crypto collector, you don't want to collect physically. You you you're happy with having it on your iPhone. I mean, Alexis, what do you what do you what do you prefer? I ah uh, okay. So I've been perfectly fine having it on my iPhone. Because the thing that I realize, this is like a living room that I carry around that also has a face scanner. So it combines both the security of a bank vault with the intimacy of my living room. And so if I need to take someone in, like magically put someone in my living room to flex uh, a bunch of like Serena crypto punks, I can do it with a quick face scan, feel secure. And then, uh, <laughs> there you go. Now. I, that said, I have been looking for, right now the best solution I have is just this very dumb one, which is one of these Samsung frame TVs. Yeah. Uh, just because I really, I want to maximize size and resolution. Yeah. And there, there's some very smart solutions that still don't have the full scale. And the, the part that Samsung has gotten right is the commodity product part of it, which is not terribly smart, just pretty. Um, so it's solving the problem now, but it's the middle ground. Like there's going to be some beautiful hardware that's, big that you can just throw up on the I wall. Mean, I mean, I mean, look at what Atomic Form is doing. They make they make yeah. custom square sure. screens and there aren't any. Also, thinking ahead in the future, we're going to have like AR goggles or whatever, glasses, and we'll be able to see the NFTs on the wall. Like, oh, True. there's my there's my there's my punk. There's my twin yeah. flames like so you don't That's have to be use wild. Glasses. Yeah. But I like physical yeah, the hardware. The hardware stuff is, I mean, at the end of the day, the, the stuff that exists are just screens and that's going to continue to become a commodity. So it's just going to get cheaper and better and bigger. But then it comes back to the, like, what is the best user experience? And so it's your point. Yeah, when everyone has just f- simple frames that look like uh, normal glasses, but that can do some kind of projection into your eye. Or a neural net, so it will just be USB ports. Or the neural link, yeah. I mean, <laughs> but yeah, it's not it's not a priority yet, so to your point. But it's like different folks have different preferences, but certainly for the generation on the come up, like this is everything. The phone, you know, the screen is... It's the, the remote control to life. Yeah. Yeah, it really <laughs> is. What well, See, that's how we know you're an artist. That's a, that's a very good way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it really is. Hmm. Wait, okay, so you've who, been pil- should... oh, go for it. No, no, go ahead. I was gonna say, I, I really want to understand all the billboards that you've been doing and how you built out that initial community with the CryptoPunks. I've Oof. I've seen the billboards on Twitter, have not seen it in person yet, but yeah, yeah me too. If you see it on Twitter, you might as well have seen it in person. It's so cool okay. though. I want to see a CryptoPunk billboard. You need to drop the locations, like all of them. Um, well, that it's was like a scavenger back in hunt. April. Yeah, it was a scavenger hunt, and we gamified it. So if you went to see the billboard and you took a selfie with it, or I took a photo of it, and you put your wallet address, we gave you an NFT of that billboard that you could place in the metaverse wow. as a GLB file. That's something Smart. we did for the Miami show. And for me, it's like I like bridging the real world with the digital world and gamifying it so they play off each other, kind of like IRL minting. It's just yep. like how do you treat it like Pokemon Go? Like 
How do you keep attention in the physical world through online objects? And like, for me, it's like creating a balance. Like, I don't want to jump too far in the matrix to the point where we have USBs in our head, but also too far off from technology that we can't sustain ourselves. So like, I'm trying to be the middle ground and creating some sort of balance with what the work I do and reflecting off each other. Maybe it's because I'm a Libra. I don't know. But I will say with Save Art Space, my business partner and I, Travis Rick, started this in 2015. And we've been putting art on billboards for like seven years now. Like I said before, to get rid of ads, to get rid of the poison of our consciousness and give people a place to share their message and their work in the world because I'm trying to create a community society versus a consumerist society. And I think billboards really play on consumerism to the point where it gets you to buy alcohol and, and cars and jeans. But what I'm trying to create is a message to the community to uplift your soul and inspire you just by a piece of art. And also not only that, giving the artists esteem enough to feel like they too can be an artist and they don't have to be an accountant or a lawyer or whatever. They could be an artist. That's a job. So for me, it's very important not only to do that for artists, but also the social messaging. Like we work a lot in Black Lives Matter, trans people are sacred, women's rights. Like we push everything forward and let the community curate and let the community choose wherever we are working at. Those people are choosing the artists and the work that goes up because it's for the, that community. Let's say, for example, Miami or Ohio, like we find someone there to curate because it's their home and they choose artists there. So we also discover a lot and we put that meaningful messaging out there to hopefully change the world and make it positive and, and also an understanding and acceptance society. Like I'm trying to create a sophisticated sophistic, – is that the word sophistical? Sophisticated society. Sophisticated, sophisticated society about art. Like why, are, why do we have dumbing down billboards that treat us like we're f- – just it's just not right i don't like it i think did buenos i'm pretty sure buenos aires the city in argentina banned billboards for a minute or there was a hold on. yeah they, they, Why? all signage all signage and then they brought it back through bus stops aesthetics oh they brought for it aesthetics back. yeah look at the bus stops there they got you alexis oh, loves okay. billboards so you love billboards. I especially love repurposing <laughs> them and hijacking them for. Uh, We're subverting advertising for public good. Yeah. Yeah. Think about it like That's this: really private companies, and I work with them to get put our art up there. So private companies buy these spaces, and they're polluting visually polluting the spaces. And the people of those places didn't ask or vote or do anything for this. So it's just like creating a visual thing that we didn't want or ask for through capitalism. So what we're doing is subverting it to make it beautiful and artistic and also meaningful. That's really cool. So every city that you're kind of doing billboards in, you work, you really do work with the community and you kind of crowdsource and get their feedback on what kind of things should go up on the billboard instead of just yeah, big old corporation throwing some, something on the billboard. Yeah, we don't even take corporate sponsors because it feels better not needing them. And it feels better that the people pay for it through us as a crowdfunding. And it's the power of the people. And like, we don't want Bank of America. We don't want, you know, vodka companies. We just want to put art up and we don't want to have it branded. Mm. We're a yeah, nonprofit. That's, it's crucial to bridge the physical and digital world in this sense. So, so crucial. So billboards are one tool. Discord and Twitter are other tools, I'm assuming. Also phone are calls those, are... and, and hanging out in person are tools to build a community. <laughs> hanging out in person, guys. <laughs> Do not forget to hang out in person. You call people on the phone too? Yeah, what is this? Oh, yeah. like? Wow. So, such a novel okay. idea, guys. What are we doing right now? Uh, is this a phone call or a podcast? <laughs> It's a group yeah, call, right. group phone call. I love that though. But at the end of the day, Man, so- when you look at social media and you look at all this online inter- engagement and inter- interaction, at the end of the day, it's like 
don't you want this energy in the real world in a physical space where we can like smoke joints or drink drinks and like make art together? I feel like that's the purpose of social media is to bring us back into reality to hang out. That's what I try to create spaces to, wow. I mean, th during COVID it's tough, but like, I feel like we're on the latter end of it. And now we're start starting to emerge through this cryptonaissance of this new renaissance of art and tech that is going to flourish because so many people are making <laughs> money now. And now that gives us more yeah. tools to create more cool things. So it's like, so there is, there is an amazing virtuous cycle. And I, I feel like I called this really too early with when I backed Patreon in like 2014, I was on stage telling people about a second Renaissance that would come because of things like Patreon. And I think in a lot of ways it did bring out a whole nother sort of first wave of creators, but web three is actually really bringing it out. And it's amazing. The trend that you hit on that's so powerful is artists and early creators now being able to reinvest in the next generation. This is what made Silicon Valley. It was a bunch of nerds who made money building technology companies, investing in other nerds who were building the next gen of technology companies. And that spun up the flywheel so damn fast that it let college kids like me get funding to start Reddit. And now obviously that is not limited to any geography and you see it in tech hubs everywhere. And that's the great flourishing of a tech community, you know, because when there's successful startups, you just make a bunch of angel investors who basically now have enough money to reinvest in the thing they know really well, which is other technology companies. I mean, and you're seeing the proof of it right now. Now you take away geographic constraints and you offer it to a creator class or a, you know, a maker class that's not engineers and developers and designers, well, sort of designers, but you know, it's not, it's not people building startups, it's people doing creative projects Dude, that flywheel is gonna spin because it turns out <laughs> the best people at sort of picking what to back, what to invest in are more often than not the operators, the practitioners, the doers. And I believe it's the exact same in the arts as it has been in technology. And it's gonna be a lot of fun because I mean, we've never seen an art world that is fueled by the choices of other artists, right? Medici's were just a wealthy family. You look at all the patrons of the arts historically, it's just rich people who through mean, one means or another, rarely art and rarely creativity acquired their wealth and picked stuff that they liked for whatever reason. Well, no, here's no a good example. Here's a good example. In the, in the Renaissance, I think, when we saw the paintings of Jesus, who was commissioning that? Who was advertising Jesus? It was the church. The church. The church. The church. They're advertising the, the They're advertising the Jesus. Jesus paintings. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. like you gotta think of it in terms of culture and the patrons and where we're at now, and now the creators are also the patrons, and now the, the tech VCs are also giving abundance to the creators. So it's like this self sustainable loop. And because of royalties, it really upkeeps everyone for every project you make moving forward. And I think that's the most beautiful thing. Yeah. And the most important thing about NFTs, dude, is the fact that artists retain royalties and no collector should want to take that from artists. Because I, I see a lot of talk like that, but it's like, that should not be said. Agreed. And Justin, I'm going to double down on your point because there's a reason Jesus got paler and paler. He went from being, you know, a dark skinned Middle Eastern Jew to being like a fair skinned, blonde haired, blue eyed Jesus, right? And that's not a coincidence. And that is a very deliberate, I mean, that's puts the punctuation on the point you just made, right? Is that this was imagery very clearly being used as a propaganda and very clearly, you know, more a reflection of sort of what certain people wanted it to be than what even the sort of reality of the original person was in, the, in this very particular case. but the more creators you have enabled to make the art that is true to them and honest to them, and then getting enriched by that, I really think you actually then by default bring, that's not to say there's not a lot of work to do, but by default, you're going to bring a lot more authenticity, a lot more diversity to the artwork that gets created. Still, still a lot of work to be done for sure in the NFT art world, but I think there's a path here to, to a much, much more honest account of artistry and creativity, which is great. And I think also, I think it also <laughs> accelerates our culture 
to reach new technological discoveries. I think when art yeah. is flourishing, that's when science and technology also flourish because mm. the conversations had between people like yourself and me and other mm. scientists, maybe at NASA or CERN, these are the people that need to connect because these are people thinking and we need our the thought yeah. leaders in the space to create a better future for everyone, you know? For real. And, and then, mm. you know, going back a second and talking about a contemporary version of Jesus, like being paid yeah. for by um, the church, <laughs> well, I would say, look at, look at Warhol, right? Like, look at all his paintings. He practically brought commercialization into the museum world from abstract expressionism to complete corporate control in the, in, in the fine art world through the work he was creating with Coca-Cola and Campbell's and every other brand he's ever used in his works. And it's like the people probably commissioning him or buying his art around then were the people who were the advertisers. So when you fast forward to now, the people commissioning and supporting artists are all the tech VC funds or people in that space. And like that's why we're seeing crypto punks surface up in the fine art world because you guys are the patrons. And at the end of the day, it's like when you follow the money, that's where the art – really comes out of like all the crypto art all the smart contracts luckily photography is now part of this through the work i'm doing and, and other people are doing but i think photography got left somewhere between being created in the 1850s and like being sidebarred through social media so i'm trying to really bring value back to something so sacred and also scientific and alchemical that should be respected as a fine art form and it is mm. Justin, if a talented photographer wanted to launch their own NFT collection, how would you approach it? What would you suggest them to do? I would say uh, contact me. Let's hang out and talk about it. Join my Discord because, you know, everyone who's collecting photography is there. Watch what's twi happening on Twitter. Go to in real life events. Try to meet people in person. Um, study other photography projects. Decide how you want to label your works, how many you want to put in your collection. I like to treat my collection like, hey, I'm having a fine art museum show. So what is the collection I'm exhibiting? It's not going to be a hundred random photos from Justin's life. It's going to be the serious projects that I was taught in at school to create. Like when you go to art school, for me at least, or if you go to Yale MFA, like you're, you, you're taught to create a series. And by that, I mean like a cohesive narrative with a punctum, which is a small detail that bridges all the photos together. If you read Roland Barthes' um, Camera Obscura, you'll really learn a lot from about photography. But, um, but what ties all these pictures together? For me, it was the twins, right? And the, the subject brought it all together. But in someone else's project, it could be a red handkerchief that's hanging in every image. It's like small details. But this, these are the things you read, you learn when you read that book. So at the end of the day, it's like if you had a chance to have a museum show of a cohesive collection that tells a story, what is that that you made and make that your collection? And some people have five, ten different collections. Some people might have one. You know, it's just it's just a matter of knowing, treating it like it's an exhibition and 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 like for instance, the image. For, for like the main image used to represent the collection should be called the flyer image. Just like if you were printing a flyer and sending it to people or handing out like flyers for your art show, it's like what image is on that card? It's like that's, that's the title image. For me, it's the book cover image because that's like what represents the project. There's the duality. There's the surreality. So it was natural to always use that one. Yep. So that was number 83 is the is the cover of your collection, which yeah. you recently auctioned off at Christie's for yeah. over a million, which is crazy. Over, over crazy. Ansel Adams. Like, I grew up looking at photos of Ansel <laughs> Adams because I used to do a lot of photography just because I wanted to capture my memories. And then from there, I did a lot of photography gigs in high school. Um, really? Yeah. I'm nervous about you. <laughs> yeah, I used to do a lot of photo shoots, concert shoots. Like, I just wanted to learn about photography, and it was just a really fun passion for me. I never saw it as a potential career. Like, I grew up not thinking that this could be a real career path, right? But you 
you've changed that and you've helped photographers and artists around the world realize that they could actually do this as a career, especially with NFTs and royalties that are ongoing, right? Like that changes the game entirely. Artists deserve it. We've, we've been fed the short end of the stick far too long. We've been the starving artists far too long. You know, I want to see billionaire artists. I want to see, because the artists are always the people that will give back and, and make the world a better place, whether it's through their art, their spirit, or the cause that they're working towards. You know, for me, it's like I try to be a philanthropist through all my work. Through all the things, you know, the auctions I do, I like, I donated 100% of my proceeds to an NFT charity to support other artists. I donated half of the Christie's sale to Save Art Space to support other artists. So it's like, for me, it's like, I want to keep reinvesting in artists because those are the people who are changing the world and uplifting the spirit of our consciousness. And that's called building community. Like, you're not just trying True. to take in all the profit, which is what people previously did, right? you are reinvesting most of it back into the community, which is incredible. Well, I would say first, first and foremost, pay your bills, pay your debt, <laughs> buy a house if you can. Everything after that, donate, give back, support. Like, Make sure you take care of yourself in a responsible, ethical way and then really utilize and reinvest because we want to be in the abundance mindset. Once you're in the scarcity mindset – you become a hoarder of wealth, and that's just not where, where we want to be at, in this time. We want to create create opportunities. I love that. Such, such a good note. You're so right, man. And I think this flywheel and this abundance mindset and a, and a positive sum mindset, right? Seeing other people's success not as less success in the world for your own is such a smart way to be, and it's going to mean amazing creativity. It's not going to stop, but I think in particular the next decade, we will see rapid, rapid expansion in a way that's going to feel, compared to the last decade, nothing short of mind-blowing in terms of creativity and artistry. And I, You absolutely will see, you're here first, you absolutely will see a billionaire artist in terms of- Wait, the, the so can we define, how do you define an artist, actually? I mean, I'm going to leave it to the artist. Yeah. I was going to say, I was going to leave that one to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, here, how about this? In as broad strokes as possible. I, let's start, right? let's because start it could from be the outside music. in. It could be... All right, all right. You go first, and then I'll, and I'll I, go. I mean, so a culture creator. It's a good one. A culture. I'm trying to paint broad strokes here, because it could be a musician. It's it very, very broad. Painter, it could be... I don't, I don't know what the I don't know what the right medium is going to be necessarily. Wait, um, does David Solomon but, count as a billionaire artist because he goes he's a DJ in his free time and he's the CEO of Goldman Sachs? No. During the day, no, yes. He's, he's, he's no, an entrepreneur. The Billy, the Billy's, <laughs> Billy's got to come from uh, the full time. Full time work has to be culture creation. Full time artist. Part-time billionaire. That's what I meant. That's what I meant. Like, if you're creating a painting or photos or sculpture or music and you make a billion off that or whatever, like, that's what we're talking about. Not like, oh, I made money and I'm going to invest it and now I have two billion because I invested it. Yeah. 100% agree. And that's going to happen in the next decade. So hang on. And let's get fun with it, okay? Justin, you brought up the starving artist meme. That was something Jack Conti, when he was founding Patreon, that was his thing. Was he, he was sick and tired of going to parties and having people be like, what do you do? Oh, I'm an artist or I'm a musician or I'm a YouTuber or whatever. And they'd be like, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it should be celebrated and, and, instead of and, treated like that. Exactly. Well, now and they are. What this, will, <laughs> what this will do, though, Justin, is think about it generationally, too. You're going to have little kids who when they're asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they're going to they're gonna be able to say with confidence and conviction, I'm going to be an artist. And the feedback loop they're going to get is not, well, you should probably have a backup plan, Johnny. It's going to be, <laughs> wow, wow, that's awesome. Like, who inspires you? What journey do you want to go down? It will start a conversation and not end it. And to have a generation who is wired to think that way, who already is immersed in the digital culture, understands this stuff on like almost biological level that I don't because I'm 
geriatric millennial over here. And also empowered by that signal from society that actually says, yeah, that's a real career path, will make a huge impact. Think of the wealth of artistry and creativity that's going to come from that because you have a generation that was not stunted like every other previous one to say, like, those of y'all who endured and spent time since childhood doing, I mean, right, how, how many people, the few people who gave you the encouragement to keep doing what you're doing are unicorns? I assume, Justin, I assume you've not had a bunch of people the whole day I mean, like, that is awesome. I want to help. How do I do oh it? Oh, my like, God. Now they do after I made it, but not, not before I did. Of course, did. <laughs> but society does not make it easy for y'all. After no. you make it, make it, whatever that means, mm. like, then everyone starts, like, pooling resources and helping you and just like, yep. where the f*** were you two years ago? Mm. <laughs> Truth, man. 100%. Truth, but just think, of course, those fires forged you and made you the artist you are it's true but the the macro is for the next 10 whatever for forever more a little kid who wants to make art for a living is going to have way more doors open than closed and that's a great thing well and i will say this means, too i will say this too on that please. note a lot of good artists come out from being told no so for sure you know i for was sure. lucky enough you know my mom really did everything she could to make sure I became an artist because she believed in me and, you know, I always did my best and she saw that this mattered to me and this is the most important thing. And I was passionate about it. And like, this is the only thing she ever saw me passionate about like this and skateboarding. So she was like completely supportive. And then it finally became like authentically supportive one day. And, and this was written in my Christie's essay where like she'd had cancer for a while and I, w I was at the breakfast with my sister and, and her celebrating my birthday and we had like a breakfast and th th prior to that, the doctors had told her she, uh, she shouldn't take her medicine anymore. The cancer was gone. Um, and, and that year in 2013, I had photographed her for like the very last time I saw her uh, for my birthday project. And for that project, I photographed someone every day of the year on their birthday with a Polaroid without missing a day. And when it came to January 16th, my mother's birthday, like I photographed her. And then to, from that point, it was her high point, like her highest point in her life, I think. And then to the point where I met up with her in September, she had told me like she had like two months to live. And at that dinner, I was like, I'm f done like I can't make anything I'm I'm sad I'm depressed I can't move like I'm paralyzed I can't I'm not going to be able to finish this project and I was working at it for 10 months and like she saw me and she's like no I'm going to help you I'm going to find someone whose birthday it is in this restaurant right now like I'm not letting you fail and she's never done that before mm -hmm. and she found someone mm -hmm. who's holding a birthday bag in that restaurant and she asked if I could take his photo and I took his photo and the beautiful thing about that, it was at this weird cow restaurant in Long Island, New York, and it was a cow-themed restaurant, so I photographed this kid with a motorcycle cow. But the day before, and this is the beauty of like creating something every day because it creates meaning and it creates a narrative. The day before, I was in Brooklyn in Flatbush, and I photographed someone. I was walking around with a sign that says, is it your birthday every day for that whole year? Because I needed to find someone <laughs> whose birthday it was. I met this kid in front of this bull like a cow bull like on brooklyn somewhere it was like a statue in flatbush off the g train somewhere near the park and i photographed him so it was like the cow imagery connected but the day before oh, I, wow. I didn't realize what was going on until i after i looked back at both photos yeah. and was like holy shit, this is connected in some weird way and for me it was a it was a spiritual magical moment and that was the, the moment man the universe. And, and that was the moment I realized, like, holy shit, she truly cares. This isn't, like, a joke. And, you know, I, I did that project in her honor. She passed away two days after her birthday. And, you know, it was it was very hard for me. But but that's, that's the beauty of creating art. You create those moments. You create those memories. You create those meaningful instants that, that change your life forever. And you keep coming back to it. And, you know, I'm, I'm able to share this, what, like... That was in 2013, so I could share this eight years later and still feel that moment right now. And like that's what art does, and that's why it's so important to follow that. God. Wow. Mm. 
Thank you, Justin. Thank you for sharing yeah. that, man. That, we, we need more of that in this world. Thank you for receiving it, man. It's just a story until I really share it, you know? You have a wonderful story. It's, I learned a lot in this past hour. <laughs> and thank well, you I'm for here if you guys ever want to hang out, you know? Like, let's take this shit offline. Let's, let's build the future. Like, I'm, this Just is what I'm here for. throw some billboards up, guys. Let's go. That would be dope. Are you guys going to NFT NYC? That would be dope. Yes. Michael so let's, I'll, yes. I'll see you there. Arbazo? Arbazo? I'll be at both. We're getting billboards. Definitely. Yeah, Alexis is definitely going. You're, you live there, but. <laughs> yeah. But I'll be, I'll be at NFT NYC yeah. for, I don't know what I'm doing, a speaking thing or something, but I'll, let me, we'll. we'll Hit me up, dude. You got text. my number now, so hit me up if you want to chill. Okay, that'd be a blast, man. It's just it's it's wild to see this stuff, and I still have whiplash every morning, and I'm hoping it's gonna. I mean, okay, it can't slow down. <laughs> for the love of God, it needs to. It won't. Uh, we just need better tools to kind of keep up with everything that is new and upcoming. But I. Well, what needs to slow way. down? You, you mean the profile picture no, it project? Well, I don't want it to slow down. Well, for sure, but like <laughs> the the rate at which there is something new to learn about or talk about or be impressed by, because even the subtleties of execution, right? This is a canvas. NFTs are still the dumbest, simplest version of the canvas. And artists and creators are already trying to come up with really innovative, innovative approaches to doing it. And yeah, the PFP is just one meme, but like, right, there's because it's such a new medium and everyone is sort of learning from everyone else in real time, it's not like, right, the rate at which it's going to evolve is so much faster than like a photographer taking photos, developing, sharing techniques, talking, seeing a show, going across the world, seeing a new technique, bringing it back, like, because it is so digitally native, I mean, and, and the, the, the numbers attached to it are so remarkable. I mean, it, it's just it's and the, tools, the means of communication is so much faster too. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Because we're doing it on Twitter and it's Discord. I know. It breaks my heart. None of it's on Reddit, but it, it's absolutely all. That's your job. And Reddit, I know. I know. We missed. That's a whole other. We could do a whole other podcast about the boat that we missed on that one. You didn't miss the boat. It's still in the dock. You're still in the dock. Nazis. Oh yeah, no, maybe islands. Yeah, I islands will. Uh, Final fix that, call. You guys. Get on the boat. <laughs> nah, Reddit's gone. Right. Reddit's out. Sorry, guys. No comment. You had okay. a good year. You had a good year last year with the with the bets thing with the game. What's it called? Games. Oh, Wall Street bets. Yeah, that's it. That was your moment, bro. <laughs> Whole nother game. Taking yeah, down the establishment. <laughs> Community is a, a magical inexplicable thing that is for sure yeah <laughs> anyway this is great man thank you so much